All right, so Mark chapter 5 is where we're at, and we're about to look at a very famous story about the man possessed with a legion of devils. And so let's go ahead and read some of this before I get into some of the main things I want to try to get across in this message. So it says in verse 1, And they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now this story is just an amazing story. One, it's a great horror story. I mean, here you've got a guy who lives in the tombs. He runs around naked. He cuts himself. He's able to break chains. Nobody can tame this guy. I mean, this is a great story. And how many has ever heard a good, dramatic, you know, sermon on this subject where the preacher proceeds to tell a whole bunch of stories about demon-possessed people he's come in contact with? If you haven't, I challenge you to go find some uh, Phil Kid, old Phil Kid sermons on demonology, and some of those stories on there will knock your socks off. How many of them are true? Probably zero, but I guarantee you, you will enjoy those stories. Okay, now, and folks, this really happened. This is a real story. This is an amazing miracle that we read about here. But, you know, it's amazing what people will do with stories in the Bible and just the way that they can use a story like this as a springboard to just tell all of their dramatic stories and do a lot of weird stuff with the Bible. And, uh, and that's wrong. We're going to talk about some of that as we go through this. But let's keep reading. So it says, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. You know, some of you uh, demons, they got more respect for God than you all do. When the demons saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Some of you, we can't even get your carcass in church. Sit there like a bump on a log. You know, don't want to pray. You never come up to the altar. Well, I, we get all kinds of stuff with this. I, I like preaching like that. I wish... I should have went down south and stayed in the camp meeting world. But anyway, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Now there were nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what, um, see it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. And he had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they saw it and told them how it befell to him that he was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed that he might be with him. You know, when you really get saved, you know what you're going to do? You're going to put some clothes on. Amen. You know, when you really get saved, you're going to want to follow Jesus. And I wonder about these people that say they're saved. You can't, don't wear enough, uh, clothes to, you know, 
I don't know. I, I'm not a Southerner. I can't come up with those things that they come up with. You know, they don't wear hardly any clothes. They don't want to follow Jesus. I wonder about these people. This man, man, he got it. He, he got it all the way, right? Well, that's another sermon for another day. But he wanted to follow Jesus, howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. And when Jesus was passed over again by shipping to the other side, much people gathered unto him and he was nigh unto the sea. So when Jesus first does this miracle, it was such a great miracle that it scared the people. And you'd think the people would have been grateful. When you had a guy like this in town... You know, the fact that somebody actually tamed him, you'd think that would, but I think it just, it freaked him out at first. And I think a lot of it too is because of what had happened with the swine. In fact, I just saw a guy the other day. I think somebody needed to cast a demon out of him. I was over at the barber shop and he was over by that movie theater there in Sterling. And all of a sudden I hear somebody yelling and I look and it's this druggy looking guy and he's out there and he's like yelling at people as they go by. And then he would like do this really weird bow to him like that and stuff. And, it was weird. I don't know what was going on with this guy. It's either demons or drugs or both. But, um, you know, and, and I do. I have a tough time preaching this passage and not just doing what most people do with this passage and just tell you all my stories about my encounters with demon-possessed people. And I've had a few encounters of people I'm pretty convinced were demon-possessed. But here's, here's what I, I want to do in this message tonight. I want to show two accounts of the same story that many would try would claim is a contradiction in the Bible. But then also, after we look at these two accounts and reconcile these differences, I want to use this to illustrate a very important lesson in Bible interpretation and a mistake and an error that preachers often make when preaching from a passage of Scripture like this. So let's turn over to Mark or um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. Let's look at what Matthew says. Because there's no doubt this is the same story. There's no doubt about it when you look at the events that happened before, the events that happened after. This is the same event. And it says in Matthew 8, 28, when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass that by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to, uh, to torment us, before the time. And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding, so that as that devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went to the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place in the sea and perished in the water. So there's no doubt this is the same story here, but notice we've got two. Guys, where was he? In Mark's account of this. So where is he? What happened to the other demoniac? And I want to show you what happened to that other demoniac, why he's not mentioned in Mark. And I think, I think there's some, there's a great lesson that we can learn from this. But most of the time when people go to passages like this, you know, they often will use it to preach and teach on how to identify a demon possessed person. But, you know, in reality, while we could learn some things from that because this was, in fact, a demon-possessed guy, do you realize the primary purpose of this passage was not to teach you, here's how you identify a demon-possessed person? Because if that was the case, then, you know, 
a requirement would be they have to go around naked, they have to live in the tombs, they have to cut themselves, you know, they have to be able to break chains, have supernatural strength, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, do they have to look like that to be demon-possessed? No, that's just how it was in this story. And I think it was, you know, especially that way because of the fact this guy had, you know, a legion of demons. You know, now if somebody just has one demon, are they going to be able to do all this? Probably not. This, there was a, this guy was a special case. The Bible doesn't tell us how he got a legion of demons inside of him. We don't know that. The Bible's not trying to teach us that. So, you know, this, if we're going to preach a message about demonology, while we've got a great illustration example, the main purpose of this passage is not to teach us about demon possession. Do you all understand that? And so, if this is kind of a go-to passage, you know, it's real easy to kind of insert some of your own ideas and thoughts in there. And that's probably not what we should do, because often that's what happens with most passages. And I'm telling you, there's so many things I was just, commentaries I was just tempted to give throughout this whole thing, because that's what you always hear preached on this stuff. But what I'm really wanting to do in this message is stick to the point of this story. Because when we understand the point and the purpose of the story, when we understand why Mark was writing the story, what he was trying to teach us in the story, all of a sudden it makes sense why the other demon possessed man isn't mentioned. All of a sudden, it all kind of clears up and we can understand why Matthew might have brought it up while Mark didn't. So I think that, you know, these are important things that we need to do. And so, um, you know, ultimately what Mark is teaching us here is just he's showing us another, because we've been seeing miracle after miracle with Jesus throughout Mark. He's showing another amazing miracle where the, the healing of this man, the casting out of the devils of this man it resulted in basically a town receiving Jesus. Because the next miracles that we're going to see in this story, these are very famous miracles that you've all heard sermons about, but do you realize none of these miracles would have happened had it not been for this former demoniac going and telling everybody in his town about Jesus? That's really the message of the story. We're seeing, the when we see these next two miracles, we're seeing the results of what happened as a result of somebody going and telling other people about Jesus. Because at first, they weren't receiving him. At first, they drive him out of the land. But when Jesus comes back, they were ready to see, receive him because of this demoniac, because of the fact he went and he told people about Jesus. So when Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Luke talks about the story too, when they're telling us about Jesus, they often focused on different details than what the other one did. And because they were often using the same events to illustrate or to teach different truths. And that's something very important you need to understand. So the fact that we see differences, you know, in these some of these details, and not contradictions, but just different details given. This is often what proves authenticity. It's not like these guys got together and said, all right, we got to get our story straight. The fact that they focused on different things, and then when we actually think about it, we see they harmonize. That gives some legitimacy. In fact, if we witnessed a murder, if there was three of us that said we witnessed a murder or something, and we all gave the exact same story verbatim, the cops are probably going to think you guys have been working together. And they have ways of asking questions, too, just to see how you answer these things. They're training the stuff. I'm not. But often those different details that work together help prove that something's actually true. And so that's exactly what we're seeing here. In the, when it comes to 
Matthew and Mark, because Mark and Luke, they are focusing on the more notable demoniac, but that doesn't mean there couldn't have been a second one in this event. doesn't mean that at all. Okay, so for example, suppose I go to the store, let's say I'm at Walmart with Abby, and while I'm at Walmart with Abby, we see Austin and Janae in the store, and we're talking about random things, and uh, maybe I'm talking with Austin about an upcoming church event, you know, as we talk, and then later, I'm at home talking to my wife, and she, you know, asks me about that event that's coming up, and I tell her that I was at the store, I tell her I saw Austin, we talked about the event, and I go over the details of that conversation. But then later, Cassandra's talking to Abby, and Abby, she tells Cassandra about seeing Austin and Janae, and talks about how, uh, you know, we talked about Abby watching their kids while they go out on a date or something like that, uh, and maybe she even says some other things about that conversation. Now, did our stories conflict with each other? I never said anything to my wife about Janae being there. I never said anything about that part of the conversation. When we were talking about an upcoming church event, I gave her only the details of what was relevant to that, of what we were talking about. I didn't talk about that other thing. But other conversations and other things happen and other people are involved in this other story that happened at the same time. But when we were having a different conversation about a different subject, you know, there was a lot of differences in the stories. But those two stories go together, though, don't they? Okay, there's no contradiction there. And that's what's going on between Matthew and Mark. Okay, and Matthew and Mark, they're focusing on different things. And so Mark, he tends, he mainly just focused on the guy who got the town to receive Jesus. Where when Matthew's given his account of the gospel, He's telling a story about how Jesus healed two demoniacs and cast the devils out of them. And so the fact that um, Mark didn't mention that one, it doesn't mean it's a contradiction. So does that make sense to everybody? It, it definitely could have happened. And then, and so as we go through the rest of this chapter, two, yeah, I think it makes even more sense why only the one was mentioned. And I think we can then realize, too, what happened to the other demoniac and why he isn't mentioned. And so... Uh, that, that's what we're going to do as we go through the rest of this passage. So look at verse 22. So verse 22 says, And behold, so this is, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. So it's almost as if Mark's account of the ministry of Christ is showing how all the things that Jesus did kept getting more and more amazing. Because that's kind of what we've been seeing so far. You know, we're, at first we're seeing him heal crippled people. You know, then later we see him, uh, you know, calming the sea. I think that's what we saw last week. I don't remember the order. But it's like the miracles keep getting bigger and bigger. And then we see him literally casting a legions of demons out of a man that nobody could even tame. And now he's about to go raise someone from the dead for the first time. And really, raising somebody from the dead, that's as big as it gets for a miracle right there. That, that, that's as big as it gets. So it's like, it's just showing the progression of Jesus' ministry 
and how just the things that he are, he's doing just keep getting greater and greater. And so Jesus, his power is so great while he's on his way to do his greatest work yet. We're about to see in verse 25, another famous story of him healing a woman without even trying. Look what it says in verse 25. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Now seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, this miracle right here, everybody knows about this miracle. This miracle wouldn't happen had it not been for the demoniac going and telling this town about Jesus. Because remember, before they drove him out. And this, this demoniac... He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to be a disciple, but Jesus told him, you know what? You go home and you tell everyone what great things Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus told him to do, and that's exactly what he did. Now, this particular miracle, let's talk about this miracle for a little bit because this miracle is amazing because what it's doing, it's showing the purity of Jesus Christ, and it shows how he has the power to cleanse any sin because that's what we keep looking at. What's the spiritual significance Significance. Of this miracle. This miracle was showing us what a great high priest Jesus was. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 7 and then uh, Leviticus 15. Let me show you a few passages here because when you look at the story, for us in our culture, we don't think anything of this. I mean, really, what is the big deal about a woman touching the hem of his garment when he's being thronged by a bunch of people? That's what the disciples said. But here's the thing. There were... There was a problem with this particular woman that touched Jesus. Something that we don't think that much about, but something that was very important back then. This is very, and I think this is another example of something that proves the impeccability of Jesus Christ. It proves that he was not capable of sin. He was not capable of any uncleanness. And it says in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24, but this man, talking about Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's able to save them to the uttermost, meaning he's able to save them completely. He's able to save people to where they will stay saved. This is, you know, we often look at that uttermost as he's able to save them everywhere, people from everywhere. But no, this is just saying he's able to save them completely. They're completely saved. And folks, when we get saved, we get saved all the way. We stay saved. This is flat out just saying once saved, always saved. You know why? Because when you get saved, we have a priest, a high priest with an unchangeable priesthood that's able to completely save. And so this is a great, this is, this is another thing too that irritates me when people act like Hebrews teaches you to lose your salvation. It's like, have you ever read chapter 7? You know, it's pretty clear he keeps us saved. 
But let's keep reading. Um, 26. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, look at this, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. You, you couldn't defile Jesus. Jesus could not be defiled. He was too holy. He was God. He could not be defiled. Who, and says, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. So Jesus only needed to do it one time. Never needs to do it again. We never need to be saved again. Okay, now look what it says in Leviticus chapter 15. Because Jesus is, he is a priest that is holy, harmless, undefiled. And then in Leviticus 15, this is ceremonial law here, but this was very important. It says in verse 19, And if a woman have an issue, and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart seven days, and whosoever toucheth her shall be unclean until the even. And everything that she lieth on upon in her separation shall be unclean. Everything also that she sitteth upon shall be unclean. And whosoever toucheth her, her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even. This woman that had this issue of blood, she'd had this problem for years. This wasn't like, uh, you know, the problem that, you know, or what's normal for women on a regular basis. I don't want to say a whole lot about that right now, but this was something that was all the time for her. It had been that way for years. And so because of this, ceremonially speaking, she was unclean. When you were in this state as a woman during that time, you weren't allowed to do certain sacrifices. You weren't allowed to go into the tabernacle. And if you touched anybody, if anybody touches you, they're unclean. They can't do these things either. And that these things meant a lot to the Jews back then. We don't think about that stuff. We don't think about these things today, do we? We take these cleanliness things for granted because of the fact we've been washed in the blood. We're clean forever. And we often forget about that. And, you know, we should remember these things because they cause us to be thankful for the blood of Christ. They cause us to be, you know, to appreciate the fact that, man, we can come into church and you know what? Spiritually speaking, we're ready to go because Jesus cleaned us. But back then, it wasn't like that. So imagine being a woman in this situation to have this problem for years. She's going to be an outcast in society. Nobody's going to want to be around her. I mean, because it's kind of like she's got cooties, you know, and, and, and this was a serious game of cooties that they played back then. Nobody was going to want to be around you. So we need to understand this. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ, if she touches him, shouldn't he be defiled? Shouldn't he be unclean? But you know what? He wasn't. It, it didn't, he didn't get defiled, did he? You know what happened when the unclean woman touched Jesus? She became clean. Now, that's not the way these things normally work, is it? Usually, you touch something unclean, it becomes unclean too. You know, if you stink really bad and you go hang around somebody that smells good, their good smell's not going to rub off on you. You're still going to stink. But here, when she touches Jesus, she gets cleansed. Why is that? It's because of who Jesus was. And so, without even trying, Jesus Christ, he heals this woman and the reason he points it out, because, I mean, this, this is a great miracle that has been done. And this woman, she's now been loose from this burden. What an amazing thing this was. So there's no doubt the significance of this miracle. 
it was Jesus showing himself to be a great high priest capable of cleansing any sin. We see in Isaiah 64, verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So that's what our righteousnesses are. They're filthy rags. They're th- something that's gross. That's something that's disgusting. And not just something that's dirty. Okay, We're all used to just dirty stuff, and we don't care that much. But these things that were dirty that the Bible's talking about here, these are things that would cause us to not be able to do the things of God. Things that we would not be able to go to the temple. Other people would not be able to be around us. These things were a really big deal. You know, today, and these days, you know, if you just stink a little bit, you smell really bad, you know, chances are we're, st- we're not going to throw you out of the church and people are still going to be nice to you. They just might sit kind of far from you. And, uh, you know, we've all gone to church with people like that. We used to go to church with a lady that used to sit there and let them rip right during service. And there was, there was like an invisible circle around her area because everybody knew never to sit there. And, you know, but we never threw her out of the church or anything like that. You know, she, I don't know if that would consider you, make you unclean, uh, ceremonially speaking, but it doesn't make you real popular with other people. But either way you look at it, though, thank God, whatever issue and uncleanness we have, and folks, we have them. Ceremonially speaking, we have them. But we don't, we're not really worried about it. You know why? Because we know the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all those things. We should be thankful for that. First John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So this story right here where Jesus is healing this woman without even trying, you know what it tells all of us? Jesus can cleanse our uncleanness. His blood can take care of us the uncleanness from her blood did not defile Jesus Christ. And you know what? His blood, it can cleanse us. And I believe that's what he was showing us in this story here. So Jesus Christ, he's on his way to do the miracle of raising someone from the dead. Now, what do you think the spiritual significance of that is? Of raising somebody from the dead? I think we would call that salvation. Salvation because that's what happens to us spiritually when we get saved. Now, how do we get resurrected spiritually? Well, God's able to do that because he cleanses us from our sins. So doesn't it make sense that while he's on his way to do a miracle that shows he can save people, that he would do another miracle along the way showing that he could cleanse people, which is what makes us saved? I I don't think these things are coincidences here. I don't think it's a coincidence that these two miracles that Jesus did that show his power to save people were performed after a man went and told his city about Jesus. And isn't that what has to happen in order for people to be saved? Somebody's got to go tell them about Jesus. If somebody tells people about Jesus, and if they will believe that gospel message, you know what? They can come to him, and he will cleanse them of their sins, and he will raise them from the dead spiritually. I think we're seeing a great picture of salvation in this chapter. That's why these miracles are here. They're not just, you know... So many people today, especially in the charismaniac world, they love talking about the miracles. Why? So they can get the crowd all hyped up and convince them that they can go and lay their hands on them and do some kind of miracle with them. 
They can heal them of their sickness. They can do this for them. They can pray for them. They'll get a bunch of money or something like that. But you know what they never do with these people? They never give them a clear gospel message. They never tell these people how to get saved. And that's the main thing. And that's the real message of what Jesus was trying to do here. So uh, look at verse 35 of Mark 5. So says, uh, so this is after he's uh, healed this woman. So it says, while he yet spake, there came from the rule of the synagogue house certain which said, thy daughter is dead, why troublest thou the master? And he further, basically said, you're too late. And you know what? Later, Jesus was told he was too late too, and he was four days late. And it wasn't too late then either, was it? Jesus can overcome these things. So it says, and as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith to the ruler of the synagogue, okay, this is in a, this is in a story where the miracles are teaching us that Jesus can save. There's no doubt about that, okay? And we could go all over the Bible, show examples in the New Testament of salvation being a cleansing from sin, a cleansing from uncleanness, a resurrecting of the dead. We, We all know that. I don't even need to show you that. You all know that stuff. So notice when this man finds out his daughter's dead, people are saying it's too late. Notice what Jesus said. He said, be not afraid, only repent of your sins. Is that what he said? No, he said, be not afraid, only believe. I don't know why he's, is he trying to confuse people on how to get saved right here in this miracle? No, he's making it real clear. The the message is pretty consistent throughout the Bible, isn't it? It's pretty consistent throughout the Bible. So this statement is interesting because this is a picture of salvation. And how do we receive salvation only believe. Only believe. So verse 37, And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And, and he cometh into the house of the rule of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Now notice when he goes to raise this girl from the dead, First off, you've got a group of people standing there that don't have any faith. When Jesus says she sleepeth, they laughed him to scorn. That means they didn't just laugh about what he said. It means they're laughing at him. That means they are making fun. They're mocking him. They're being scornful about it. They're being ugly about it. And so Jesus, he only takes in three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, maybe Three witnesses, right? Maybe three witnesses, you know, because again, this story of raising somebody from the dead, that's a really big deal. Something that was going to be recorded in the Gospels. And so it makes sense that Jesus, even though he doesn't want it to be known then, because we see in one of the other accounts of the Gospel, that he tells them not to make it known. And we've been showing how he said that a lot during these miracles. And again, it's because people weren't ready to receive him. People like these, this group, 
that's laughing him to scorn when they don't like what he says, they're not ready to get saved. And a lot of people think, well, they would have gotten saved if they'd have seen him raise him from the dead. No, they wouldn't, because if you don't have faith, you're not going to get saved. If you won't believe, you're not going to get saved. So there was no point in telling these people what he did just then, because all it would have done is it would have got the crowd going crazy, but for all the wrong reasons. Spiritually, nothing would have been accomplished. This, this crowd had too many problems. They weren't ready for that, so that's why Jesus didn't want them knowing. But I do believe he took Peter, James, and John in there because... This was going to be talked about later. It was going to be recorded later. And so it was a really big deal. He takes them in there to see this. He takes the girl's parents in there. The people who he said only believe. He takes them in there. And then sure enough, he raises this girl from the dead. So these people, they would have been blown away by this. If I would have been there and all those people would have been laughing at me, i had been like, come watch the show. I'd have put on the show. And then I'd have made them get on their knees and apologize. I can raise her from the dead and I can lay you out right now. That's what I would have done. But again, that's why I wasn't sent to pay for sins. And I am one that needed my sins paid for. That just, that would have been me. Uh, but Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus had a mission. Jesus had a clear goal in mind. And that was getting people saved, getting people to believe on him and many, and Jesus, we see other examples too, where he would, Jesus could look at a multitude and he knew the hearts of those people. He knew, he knew what was in them. And so when Jesus would see a group of people laughing him to scorn, you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, well, you know, I'm just going to preach to him and just love on him anyway. You know what he did? He just, he ignored him. He moved on. Yeah, and there, there's some people that it's just pointless to even try talking to them. You know, that's that whole casting pearls before swine. We talked about the other day. Now, I don't, I think we should probably be a little more anxious to talk to other people because we don't have the ability of Jesus Christ to see into everyone's hearts like he did. But the fact that many times Jesus wouldn't speak to people because he knew it was in their hearts, it proves there are just some people that aren't ready. There's some people who won't do you any good to talk to. And so Jesus, he did, he just moved on. And so, you know, the, the ability to do miracles is not going to get anyone saved. You know, no one gets saved without faith. But the multitudes will always gather for a good show. Y'all understand? The multitudes will always gather for a good show. If we get the right entertainers in here, we could pack this place out whenever we wanted. If we got the right entertainers in here. But are we an entertainment center? You know, or are we a church? Are we about getting a spiritual message across or are we just about giving, giving the crowd what they want? The crowd always wanted to show. We see the Jews constantly going, hey, show us a sign. You know, do some miracle. You know, you know that, that's what everybody wants to see, but that's not what Jesus wanted to do. So that takes us to the end of this chapter. Now, after seeing all this, after seeing the story where Jesus goes, he heals this demoniac. The, it says in verse 17, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. They feared him. Talking about Jesus, they were scared of him. They asked him to leave. The man possessed with the devil asked that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. 
And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. And when Jesus passed over again by ship on the other side, much people gathered unto him and he was nigh unto the sea. What changed everyone's mind? There's no doubt what changed everybody's mind. This man changed everyone's mind. And so when, because this man changed everyone's mind, we have a multitude thronging Jesus. We have a man who hears about what Jesus did for the demoniac and he says, he could heal my daughter. While Jesus is going to heal this man's daughter as a result of this demoniac telling him about it, Jesus heals this woman with an issue of blood along the way. None of these things would have happened had it not been for this one man and him going and telling everybody about it. We're seeing throughout this chapter the theme. The theme is salvation. The theme is Jesus Christ, the high priest. He can cleanse sins. He can raise us from the dead spiritually. Only believe. We're seeing salvation through this whole thing. And it all was made possible by a man who Jesus healed, a man who Jesus saved, who went and told other people about what Jesus did for him. So now the question, again, what happened to the other demoniac? Where was he? Jesus healed him too. Jesus cast devils out of him too. Why is he mentioned in Mark? And I hate to use eisegesis, but I just tend to think that it's because he didn't do anything. We don't see him asking to follow Jesus. So I don't know, that's kind of a stretch. Well, we see the same thing happen in the story of the 10 lepers. You've got nine that just leave and you got one that worships Jesus. And you know who the Bible focuses on? That one that actually did something for Jesus. You see, when you go to the book of Matthew and you look at the account there, you know, it's, you know, uh, it tells the story of Jesus uh, calming the sea in the chapter before. We see the two demoniacs coming and getting healed. And then later, we're not going to take time to read through all of it, but later we see the woman with the issue of blood being healed. We also see uh, Jairus' daughter being raised. We see all the same miracles, but you know what you would never be able to do just from reading Matthew's account? You would never connect those things together. You would never realize it's just not in, it's not in Matthew. You don't see it anywhere in there that those two other two miracles that Jesus did were a result of what the demoniac did. And you know why you don't see it? It's just because that's not what Matthew was talking about. That's not what Matthew was focusing on in that story. Matthew's not telling us a story about a man who got his town to come to Jesus. Matthew is just talking about Jesus and mentioning several of the miracles that he did. And he happened to do those miracles. He happened to heal two demoniacs at that time. But we're in the book of Mark. Mark is showing us about a man who got a town to come to Jesus. And the, guy, the other guy got healed too, but he didn't do anything. He's not out there telling other people about Jesus. He, we don't see him saying, you know, Lord, I want to follow you. We see it with this one man. So he's the one that the Bible focuses on. And you know what? There have been many, many, many people throughout history who miraculously have been saved because you know what? Salvation is always a miracle. But not everyone that gets saved afterwards says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Not everyone after they get saved goes and tells other people about what great things the Lord has done for them. Not everybody does that. And so because, and so the thing is, you know, thank God 
for those who get saved. But you know what? Thank God for those who get saved and then they go and they serve God too. They go and they tell other people too. We've got too many people today. They've received the miracle of salvation and they're just not doing anything about it. They're not talking about it. And they could be such a great blessing because another thing too that's interesting about the story is in the same story where Jesus heals a man, he tells the demoniac, go tell everybody about it. He tells the people whose daughter he raised, he doesn't tell them to tell people about it. You know, what was the difference here? Well, this man, you know, I think the one of the reasons he told the demoniac to tell everybody is because this guy was a great testimony of what Jesus did. But at the same time, you know, well, you could say that the guy, you know, it still required some faith because, okay, the guy just finally snapped out of it, you know, or Jesus slapped some sense into him, you know, he got hit in the head. He's not, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways you could explain away the difference. You know, he finally got the right meds or something like that. But, you know, raising somebody from the dead, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, really no faith required there. I mean, that's just flat out clear of a miracle. And it's like God always leaves, makes it where there has to be some faith. And we've got a lot of people that are out there today. They always want that tangible, concrete proof. But you know what they don't want to do? They don't want to believe the story. They don't want to listen to the message. We got a lot of people out there today. They want to see the show. They want to come to church. They want to see the show. They want to hear the music. They want to see the flashing lights and the purple lights and all those other things. They want to see all that. They want to have the fun stuff. They want to do the, you know, build the community. They want to, uh, you know, have all the good food. And, you know, I'm not saying all that stuff is bad, but at the same time, shouldn't we mainly want the spiritual? Shouldn't we want the message? That's what Jesus was interested in doing. And let me tell you, I mean, I think the message came across loud and clear here. And, you know, we need to get this message. And the message that we can get from this is, thank God, we have a great high priest that saves us completely. A high priest that keeps us saved. One that cleanses us. He can cleanse us from any sin. Saves it. He can raise us from the dead spiritually. So, in other words, you know, you, you can't be just like so unsaved that you can't get saved. You know, because here, this girl had probably been dead for a very short time. But we see Lazarus who was dead for four days. And yet, neither of them seemed to be a challenge for Jesus. And that's because it wasn't. It wasn't. And believing faith is the key. And so I believe what happened to that other demoniac is, I think he got healed. He just didn't do anything worth talking about. He didn't, he didn't do anything worth writing about. In Mark, Mark's not just writing about Jesus, but he's also writing about a man that Jesus healed that did a great work. In Matthew, it's he's just writing about Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? He healed a couple of demoniacs. But we don't hear him talking about that other guy because he didn't do anything. And you know what? I would hate to be somebody that Jesus healed. I would hate to be somebody that Jesus saved and I never did anything. Man, and I'm so glad that everyone that we've ever gotten saved in this church, I'm so glad every one of them still saved. And that they're going to heaven. I'm so thankful for that. But you know what? I would like to see a lot more of them do something. You know, because that's what we all, you know, that's what we like to see. That's what gets us really excited. 
Those are the, those are the, it's those people, like, it's people like that that Mark wanted to write about. Those are the ones that we all tell the stories about. The ones that they got saved, but then they went and then they gave their life to service to the Lord. That's what gets us excited. We're not saying any of us are any more saved here today. We don't say that, okay? The repent of your sins people say that. They want to, you know, cast doubt on the salvation of everyone who hasn't given their life in service to God. We're not the ones doing that. You know, they're, we're, they're just as saved as we are, but isn't it exciting when somebody gets saved and then they do something for God? Isn't it exciting when somebody gets saved and they go tell their friends and they go tell their community and then more people are saved, more people are blessed as a result. And that's why too, we just need, we need to keep working. We need to keep going. We need to keep reaching those people that just need to get saved that are never going to do anything but get saved. But let's keep going too so we can go get that next soul winner. So we can go get that next person who does great things for God. We can get another one like that legion that's going to just go and he's going to amaze people when they see his changed life. And they're going to look at it. You know, when people saw legion, you know, sitting there clothing his right mind, when they saw that change there, you know what? They didn't glorify him. They glorified Jesus. They weren't all running to him. They all went running to Jesus. And that's a big difference between him and some of these camp meeting guys that love telling the stories about their changed lives. You know what? They're so good at telling their story, everybody goes running to them. I want to hear their story again. I want to see this guy that used to do this. and do, you know. But if you know, shouldn't they be excited about the one who changed you instead of the one who got changed? Nobody was flocking the demoniac. And that's a big difference right there. So a lot of good stuff there. So I hope that was a help and a blessing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for examples like this in the Bible that can inspire us to just go and do more. And dear God, we as saved people in here today, we have salvation. We are never going to lose that salvation. You are our high priest. You will keep us saved. We thank you for that. But Lord, help us now to just go and do something with it. Help us to uh, go and do great works. Help us to tell other people about what you've done. And I pray that we will uh, do our best not to attract people to ourselves and our church, but to attract people to you so they will come to you. In your name we pray. Amen.